more on the markets, we welcome in Ethan DeVitt, Chief Investment Officer at Moneta. Thank you for being with us. So the debt ceiling is front and center, back in Congress. I mean, we have that thir over thir $31.4 on that borrowing limit. And Janet Yellen basically saying, look, I can finagle things through maybe June um, using extraordinary measures. What do you make of all of it? First of all, we need to remember that this is by no means the first time that extraordinary measures have been taken. If we are to look back in history, we can see that it very much, I think it's eight times in the last number of years that these very same words have been used. There's code there and the markets probably at this point should know what that code means. It means there will be protracted political, political wrangling but ultimately, this doesn't have a huge impact on how the market performs. We know that they get there in the end. We know that spending cuts are being waived out there. And of course, any uncertainty does spook markets further. But we don't think this will have a long-term effect on markets at the moment. So a lot of political theater is what you're saying. In the meantime, um, I think it makes folks nervous. They worry about the credit of the United States of America. Is that fair? Well, absolutely. And where this is, of course, coinciding with a turn in the dollar, a weakening of the dollar, and a movement of that around um, much funds flowing out of the U.S. equity markets into non-U.S. equity markets, in particular emerging markets. I don't know how seismic those moves actually are. Certainly, they are going to be reversal of direction relative to recent history. Remember, we had a 15-year underperformance of non-U.S. markets. There is perhaps it is poised to be turning. I'm not reading too much into the weaker dollar number based on a sense that the U.S. credit rating is going to be damaged. I think that's much more relating to the deceleration by the Fed and just the fact that the dollar was hovering around a 20-year high. It was time for it to revert to the mean. And so at this point now, it doesn't seem like either side is willing to budge at all, while the Republicans now are trying to use their little bit of weight that they have to cut some um, government programs, for example. At what point do they come to the table and start to negotiate? Well, that is anyone's guess, of course. I will say that the political uncertainty barometer, if there was to be one, is actually a lot lower than it's been in recent years. We've seen the slim majority in Congress has led to the strong possibility of bipartisan reform getting through. We've seen that this is an administration that is sitting down and getting legislation passed. And I would say that there's also significant, even though we don't know what 2024 holds in terms of the election there, and there's likely to be rhetoric mounting as we get there. I'd say on the political side, we're in probably a more stable place than we've been for a while. So I don't see that as rocking markets. Really, markets are going to be focused on those old-fashioned economic metrics, such as employment, the consumer. And I think the politics are right now are nothing more than a sideshow. Right. At this point now, um, Moody's saying that as they negotiate, it could go down to the wire and that could bring on market volatility. Do you think that's a possibility? It could, but there's been many, many times in the past, recent past, where things have gone down to the wire. It doesn't tend to have a strong impact on markets. It's a bit like geopolitical risk. Markets are starting to factor this in very much. We've done a study of how markets have performed a year after a debt ceiling crisis such as this have been in place, and we've seen that they've always had positive performance. It doesn't tend to have a very long-lasting effect at all. Of course, uncertainty is never good for markets, and this is then, of course, combined with the overall economic uncertainty that we're looking at. But in terms of anything that would keep us up at night, this is not even ranking in the top five right now. What is? I mean, we just had our World Economic Forum in Davos where people were able to get together once again after a couple of years of not being able to do so. What do you think some of the focus really is on at this point? 
And that's, again, an example of the great normalization that we're seeing now post-COVID, where we're beginning to return to normal dialogues, which is talking about sustainability. We've moved on from discussing the energy crisis and energy terrorism into that important part of the energy trilemma, which is delivering it affordably and sustainably. So I see that that's very much a normalization. In terms of what's keeping us up at night, it's really that potential for some company surprise. Bankruptcies that have been the can kicked down the road for very long. They've been artificially propped up by COVID subsidies, artificially perhaps sustained by a consumer spending that was not the pattern of the norm. I think that most earnings will actually surprise on the upside going forward. But what I am concerned about is some of those companies that have been covering up perhaps some genuine problems. And remember, FTX was just at the end of last year. We, we saw some grave corporate governance failures, oversights and lack of controls there. What keeps me up at night is that there's some more of those hiding in plain sight. Well, that's the whole thing. And there was a lot of anticipation that that may come following the pandemic if you made it through the first bout, because we saw so many small businesses close and restaurants, right? Um, it was a very tough time. And then we sort of reopened. But now, as you said, there may still be a lot of struggles that are happening. For example, Party City was something we were talking about today. So at this point, um, what kind of companies are you watching closely? I know you had Party City in your notes. Netflix was a name that you were focusing on. Um, is it tech? What are you looking at? Overall, we've been very much in favor of the defensive value names for some time. We're looking at healthcare, we think has a lot to run. All that uncertainty I mentioned that's been removed from the equation bodes very well for healthcare. We see healthcare is still a strong component of inflation. So that's going to be continuing there. And also, any other defensive area, such as consumer staples, utilities, we've liked infrastructure for some time. As there's been other noise that's got in the way of some of those long-term structural trends that are really emerging, we're not bullish on tech right now. We think tech has a long way to run. There's an element of contagion from the digital asset debacle, really, that we're seeing unfold. And also, there's a sense that growth investors are being much more discriminating about what they see in terms of growth. Certainly, you can see them celebrating, perhaps, a shoring up of margins, which is likely to occur if these layoffs happen. And we can see that in the, just the, the, the reaction of the stock prices today for Alphabet and Wayfair. But overall, we think that tech is going to have lost its luster and there will be still just a lot of picking apart of numbers. Look at Tesla around electric vehicles, around the actual demand numbers for that. There's a lot more to run on that that we haven't seen yet. So we're just sticking to our value names, our defensive names and remaining exposed to equities. Even mm -hmm. bit nice to speak with you. Appreciate it. A great conversation of Moneta. Thank you. Thank you.